Welcome to the Focus on Customer Service podcast, presented by Social Media Today, where we talk to brands you know and love who are laser-focused on using social media to deliver amazing customer experiences. And now, here are your co-hosts, Dan Gingas and Dan Moriarty. Hi, guys, and welcome back to Episode 6 of Focus on Customer Service. It's me, Dan Moriarty, and as usual, joined by my co-host, Dan Gingas. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great today, Dan. How are you doing? I'm doing absolutely fantastically. Um, Dan, I thought today, before we introduce our guest, I'd share some feedback that I got from a couple of people on the podcast. Let me have a quick conversation about that. I don't know if you saw the tweets, but there was some back and forwards about some people giving, asking some questions around why they think brands aren't currently doing more of this, why they think some of the bigger brands are struggling to do this social customer care thing that so many small and big brands are doing quite well. So I thought it'd be good to quickly ask your opinion about why you think that is. Yeah, I think that... For the most part, brands that are not responding to customers on social media are generally not doing it because they're afraid. And I think the fear is really around complaints. Everybody's happy to respond to compliments and to cheers from your customers, but it's really the complaints that make executives worried. And what I would suggest is that you actually try to embrace those complaints because, uh, as my friend Jay Bear likes to say, the complainers are usually the canaries in the coal mine. They're the ones that are identifying problems with your product or service early on. And, yeah, they may be going about it in a way that you don't appreciate as much as a brand, but it's absolutely an opportunity to engage with a customer. They're taking the time to comment to you, so they obviously care about your brand or your product. And more times than not, the response alone is a surprise and delight. And then when you actually solve their problem, you can often turn a detractor into an ambassador. And that, to me, is the beauty of social media. I couldn't agree more. I absolutely nailed it. I think the, the, the other thing that I, I sometimes see when I talk to people is I think a lot of companies are held back by legacy. If it's legacy measurement plans for marketing, if it's le- legacy structures internally, if it's legacy staffing or policies or even training practices, you can't just take exactly what you've been doing historically and suddenly start doing social customer care well. You have to, as we've talked about before, have a real kind of culture of customer service internally first. And so I think the companies that have been able to make that change quickly are companies that naturally have an internal sense of service. But we'd love to hear from anyone listening. If if there's reasons you think brands are or aren't doing this well, please let us know. Hashtag FOCS. As usual, just a reminder, all guests for this are nominated. So if there's anyone else that you'd like for us to get on the show and interview, let us know using the hashtag FOCS, and either Dan or I will reach out to them and try and schedule them. Well, the focus of this particular podcast is of companies that are doing social care really, really well. And one such company that was recently nominated was Vega. And we are so happy to have Lindsay Gesso, who is the Director of Customer Experience at Vega, And she is here today because of a nomination by Taylor Duarte, who happened to mention, Dan, that she's loving the FOCS podcasts and to keep them coming. So very happy to hear that. And we will certainly do that for you, Taylor, and for the other listeners. But in the meantime, welcome, Lindsay, to the podcast. Thank you guys very much. I love what you're doing as well. And we're honored to be a part of the podcast. We're super happy to have you, and I'm hoping that you can start. I'm not sure that all of our audience will recognize the name Vega, so I'm hoping that you can start by telling us a little bit about your company and the products that you sell. So Vega is a plant-based nutrition company, and our mission is to empower the world to thrive. So we are all about educating people about nutrition and sharing our passion for plant-based nutrition. So what we sell is we sell premium nutritional shakes. Our flagship product is Vega One. 
that offers your protein, your greens, your vitamins and minerals, your probiotics, and your antioxidants. You can mix that up with water. You can put it into a smoothie. We have a lot of our consumers that put that into a smoothie. We also have a whole sport line that's more functional nutrition for active individuals or consumers. And then we have a three-stage system, so your pre-workout um, supplements, your during your workout, and your post-recovery supplements as well. And we do a whole line of bars, so snack bars, Vega One bars, which are more of a meal replacement type bar, energy bars for during workout, and protein bars as well. So we are a company that's really built on a strong culture and a premium product. We have a very passionate fan base and brand advocates that have a strong influence and voice on social and in all channels. Yeah, that's our brand. We're about clean, plant-based nutrition. That's great. And if any of our listeners notice the slightest bit of accent from Lindsay, it's because <laughs> this is actually the very first international brand that we are featuring on our podcast. The Vega team is out in Burnaby, British Columbia, which uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the geography there is basically right outside of Vancouver. So we're very excited to have you. You will always own this title of our first international guest. Perfect. And Lindsay, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to work at Vega? I assume a company like that with the mission that you just outlined, you're probably quite passionate about the plant-based nutrition and, and healthy lifestyle yourself. I am, yes. I started my career working in customer service in the sports industry, actually. Sports were always a huge part of my life, whether it was soccer, running, any sport really. So I've always been very passionate about an active lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle. So I moved to Vancouver about five years ago. I got involved in a running group, and one of the girls that I was running with introduced me to the brand. As soon as I started taking the products, it was really, I was hooked, and it was a game changer for me as far as performance in my running and just active lifestyle. It's really funny. You're, you're the second or third person that's mentioned they were actually a customer and a fan of their brand before they took on this role to lead social customer care. Totally. And the funny part is I actually, I started researching the brand, fell in love with the culture and just what they were doing. Started following a few people that worked there on Twitter. And, you know, here I am three years later managing the customer service over social. So it's a pretty cool story. So, Lindsay, it seems to me that you guys have kind of a niche audience for your product. And I'm interested in knowing, because we talked to some big brands and some smaller brands, does that make it easier or harder to market to your audience? And then also, does it affect your customer service strategy at all? It doesn't affect our overall strategy, really. Our strategy is about delivering an amazing customer experience across all channels. Our mission is empowering the world to thrive. So we want everybody to be educated on the the power of our products and healthy lifestyle and the power of plants. So it doesn't really impact our service strategy. You know, our service strategy is the same regardless of the target. So making sure that every interaction that we have with our customers is really the best part of their day. We want to empower and educate them, help them live their best lives and engage with those, both those positive and negative comments through any channel, really. As far as our niche market, we have a very passionate group with a very strong voice so it doesn't necessarily make it harder. It really gives us more opportunities to engage, to deliver that great experience. They have a very strong voice and share their passion for our brand with others. So that really can't be a bad thing at the end of the day. And actually, Lindsay, I'm glad you said that because I was about to ask a follow-up on that, which was I was on uh, myvega.com earlier looking around, and I think you guys might have the best Instagram gallery of your customers' content that I've ever seen. I think that comes down to is it having that active community and having that niche. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, is it the hashtag good life project or best life project? 
best life project, yeah. Um, kind of how that came to be and, and how that has integrated into your care efforts. Yeah, so we started that campaign really based on user-generated content. So bringing in people and really empowering people to live their best life. So let allowing our community to showcase how they're living their best life. It wasn't necessarily to sell more products or that kind of stuff. It was more about how are we empowering them and cheering them along as they're living their best life. So we started that aggregator on our website and really we approached the strategy for that campaign as surprise and delight. So people that were engaging a lot, people that we were really impressed with that were living their best life. And we empowered our team who's working that social customer care to surprise and delight those customers that are engaging with our that hashtag, they're living their best life, they're out there promoting our brand or promoting a healthy lifestyle in their communities. Well, we took that opportunity to reward and recognize those people that are doing that in their communities. And what do you mean by surprise and delight? I mean, are you talking about getting their image up on your website or were you guys doing a little bit more than that? We were doing more than that. So it was more than more about reaching out to them and finding out, not just giving them free product for engaging with the brand or promoting the Best Life Project. It was about finding out what really made them tick. So if there's a yoga studio that they like to go to, sending them a free pass maybe for a month to the yoga, yoga studio. If there's a certain brand of running shoes that they're wearing, send them out a gift card to that brand specifically. Send them to a restaurant with their friends because it was more more than just living an active lifestyle. There's five pillars to the project and it was about being involved in your community, spending time with your friends and really living a holistic lifestyle, not just about active or nutrition. There was more to it than that. So finding ways to get them connected more with their community or more with their friends and spending time with them. Wow. And I'm always interested when I hear brands doing it well, as you guys seem to. Did you have to set up many internal kind of processes or checks to, say, send a pair of running shoes to an advocate? Or did your team just kind of naturally know where their boundaries were and, and run with it, if you'll pardon the pun? <laughs> that's part of our strategy all around is really to empower our front line. I think that's very important, whether it's through social customer care or any channel. So we give them the a budget weekly that they're allowed to spend and they can really do as they see fit with that. So they get weekly allowance and they can spend that. So, you know, we definitely social stock a few people just to see what they really like and what products they're using, that kind of stuff. And yeah, the, the front line's really empowered to make those decisions and as long as they stay within the budget. So Okay. So each of them knows what they can spend on an individual, say, basis. Yes. All, all okay, cool. Yeah. Have you ever had your social stalking? Has that ever backfired at all? Has anyone ever felt a little bit awkward? No. No. no okay. Yeah. That's what I always think. I'm like, if you're going to send someone something, it takes the awkwardness out of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we do it in a way that it's something that they've publicly talked about or are advocates for that another brand or, and we do it with, you know, sending them products as well as something that goes along with that. So helping them fuel the run that they're doing or helping them you know, along their journey to live their best life. Notice that you also use a lot of humor in your responses, including, frankly, in your response to Dan and I saying that you guys were nominated for this podcast, and also that you use a lot of imagery. Can you talk a little bit about how that fits into your strategy? Yeah. We use humor and imagery really because it aligns with our voice and who we are as a company. So if you see signage at shelf in a store, on our website, our emails that go out to our consumers, you'll really get a sense of who we are as a company. And our strategy on social is the same way. So we want that voice to resonate across all channels. So whether a customer reaches out to us through social, they're on our email list, 
or they're, re- or they're giving us a call, you'll get that same kind of witty, fun humor. It's really, we do things a little bit differently and we want people to get that. We, our tone stays the same and no matter what the situation, it really has worked with for us. You know, it's relatable, it's human, and it, it's really resonated with our consumers. One that I particularly liked was uh, a recent post on Twitter. I think you guys were talking with another brand and there was a little bit of trash talking about a race coming up. And you guys posted an image of an angry looking uh, piece of asparagus. And you said that you were ready to kick some asparagus, which I thought was great. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good food pun, right? (laughs) Exactly. Especially a vegan one. (laughs) And are those all pre-made, Lindsay, or is is the team in photo editing software as well while they're responding? So most of them are pre-made. So what we did is we looked at what questions or, or what kind of engagement was happening. So people just loving our brand. So a response back, you know, we have a little corn that says, oh, shucks. I mean, we've looked at what the most common interactions were and, and developed some of those. There are some things that come up on the fly and we have a creative team in-house that we push that over to and they're usually pretty quick to get those up and, and running. But we have, you know, a library of stock images that we can use. And really with that, it's because we use images, you don't want to overuse them. So we really treat those as surprise and delights as well. So we try not to overuse them and continually evolve them as well. So we have a big board in our office that uh, is just a wall that people can go write different food puns on it. And so we are constantly coming up with new ideas for those. Cool. One of the other things I noticed, Lindsay, looking through your Twitter feed was that people seem to be a little bit polarized by the taste of your product, especially. Not many people arguing about the nutritional value, but the taste for sure. And so I was just wondering, how do you engage? How do you talk to those people that are being critical of the taste? And, and what do you do and say to them on social to try and win them around? Yeah, I think it goes back to your discussion at the beginning. And it's really about engaging with the negative comments, the same as you would the positive comments. So taste is a very difficult subject because it is so subjective. Some people love the taste of stevia. Others hate it. And so really, we never leave any objections to taste or feedback about our products unanswered or unaddressed. We like to hear what our consumers think, and we're all about constant improvement. So we really take that feedback. So it's not saying that we make changes for every negative comment, but we do look at it as an overall percentage and then decide where we should make changes based on that. So when addressing the taste or negative feedback on that in social, we always try to find the root of what they don't like. So what about the taste or flavor that isn't sitting right with them? What are they mixing the product with? What other products have they tried before that they've liked? And usually I'd say it's, you know, I don't know an exact percentage, but I'd say high 90s percentage where we're able to turn people around and really get something in their hands that they like. We have a lot of products. So whether it's another product within our brand, another flavor, it could just be another flavor of the same product that they've already tried that just sits well with them. And like I said, it's, it's really worked for us and we've been able to turn people around. It might just be that particular flavor that they're not enjoying. I saw something else you seem to do a lot of was sharing blog posts that seem to be recipes of how to mix it into smoothies and fruit and stuff. Is that an attempt at taking that taste issue and turning it into something that's more positive? Totally. One of our number one questions over social is actually recipes, asking for recipes. How do you mix the product? So we always try to if, you know, some people don't like the product just mixed in water, we try to find recipes that, you know, if they love bananas or strawberries. There, there's recipes, a ton of recipes that we have. So we have a massive online recipe center to help people try, whether it's if, also if they're using it as a meal replacement in the morning. So we encourage them to add it to a smoothie to do that in the morning. So, so Lindsay, tell us a little bit about your team and, you know, what's the size of it and how do you integrate into the rest of 
customer service? And also, do you have a relationship with your marketing department? Yeah, so social customer care actually came into under our team, so the customer experience department, in November of last year. So we currently have four people that handle all engagements with our consumers. So they handle all consumer interactions through all channels, so phone, email, live chat, and social. And this team is really their nutritionists, they're experts in our products. So the reason we got to this point is, and I'm sure a lot of businesses are the exact same, so marketing used to control all of the social engagement. So they still do all of the strategy and push out content. We do all the engagement. And what we found is that our marketing team would get a question through social and it would be a nutrition question or a question really specific about some of the ingredients in our products. They wouldn't know or have the expertise how to answer that. So they would send it to our team. Our team would draft a response. They would email it back and then they would post it. So it wasn't really efficient. And as we saw, we were monitoring and what kind of questions were coming through social. We really saw the need that our team was already the experts in that area. They were already answering the same questions through the other channels. So it really made sense to bring that social customer care over to our team. So our team does all the engagement and answering questions and marketing still does all of the strategy and outpush messaging. Tell me a little bit about the kind of day-to-day interaction there. So is marketing presumably letting you know what's going to be posted ahead of time because you've got to be prepared with responses? And then in turn, do you guys feedback any suggestions to the marketing department? So weekly, they give us a a snapshot of what's going to be posted, what time, so we can staff accordingly. If there's stuff that's going to go up, you know, on a whim, on a day, they'll let us know in advance so we know what's going on, when to expect a little bit more traffic. And we've gotten really good at determining, you know, what posts are going to drive a lot more engagement. So we know when the busy times are going to be, when we need people on certain channels and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we do a a weekly and also monthly recap back to our marketing department. We do that across all departments, not just our marketing. So whether it's our content team, our research and development team, our quality assurance team, we do a recap of what our consumers are saying. So it's really our voice of the consumer program. And we make suggestions based on that. So what content we need to see more of, how people are responding and how our content's resonating with people. And we provide that feedback on a monthly basis as well as have monthly meetings to recap kind of what's going on and then make adjustments based on on that feedback that we're getting. Awesome. And just a reminder to everyone, we're speaking to Lindsay from Vega, who was nominated using the hashtag FOCS on Twitter. If you're listening to this and you think there's a brand that you'd love to hear from, let us know, F-O-C-S, and Dan or I will follow up with them and try and get them scheduled. Lindsay, you just you just mentioned the different channels that your marketing team is on and, and how they have to create content for each of those. I was just wondering, do you have a different approach to social customer care on those channels or are you quite consistent across social? We're very consistent. So our strategy really is the same. We respond and engage the same across all channels. Our consumers can expect the same voice, same fun interactions and answers to their questions across all channels. The only thing that differs at this point is our response time SLAs. And that's really because we've looked at what kind of questions are coming and we found that through Twitter, we're getting a lot more direct questions. So at this time, our SLA in that is 15 minutes. Our other channels, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest are an hour. And that's really to help our team know where to focus when they first come in in the morning and there's a lot of stuff coming through our channels. So they focus on Twitter first. 
And we'll continue to monitor that. It is a lot about, you know, we only have four people on that team currently. So it's a little bit about capacity as well as the nature of the questions. That makes a ton of sense. And and just, I love the SLA changing by channel. I think that that, that makes complete sense. I was just wondering, how often are you tracking SLAs with response times and how are you tracking that? Hourly and daily and then obviously weekly and monthly we compare to where we're at and we use a social customer listening tool called converse social that puts everything into a queue and also gives us all those metrics got you okay Um, and do you look at competitive response times as well or do you really just care about your own no we do look at competitive ones as well not just in our industry but across all industries because i think really it's not just about having a competitive advantage over your direct competitors the consumers expect a response through social now so it's looking at are we as good as the best companies out there? And that's really how we set our standards. And that is the quote for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I absolutely well done. love that. <laughs> so, Lindsay, we're all in this business and we all hear from customers every single day. And I'm just wondering, are there any social interactions that have been particularly memorable to you? Maybe a story you like to tell new employees or if you're out at a conference. It could be funny, could be strange, could be just out there, but hoping you will share it with our audience as well. Totally. We have a ton of great interactions. You know, our team really is fantastic and absolutely great at what they do. Like I talked about a little bit about the surprise and delight strategies. We have some great stories from that, you know, getting someone a subscription to socks because they were a big fan of socks. We got them a year long subscription to socks. There's little things like that. One of my favorite stories actually was, I think, thought it was just a really good example of how companies can be missing the boat on engaging with their consumers or people reaching out. So We had someone reach out and they were actually directing the question at an airline that had mishandled their bag so aggressively that the tub actually exploded in the bag. So they had a couple of our products in there and they exploded. And they posted the picture more directed at the airline, but we obviously jumped on that opportunity, sent them a bunch of new product as well as a couple other things. And then obviously they then reposted saying, this company is great at customer service. They're really listening. And so it was an opportunity to jump into a conversation that was never really directed at us, but they had mentioned Vega in it and really go above and beyond and probably have won that customer over over for life now. That's awesome. That's a great example to jump in when the conversation is sort of peripherally involving you, but not necessarily directed at you. I think that's an awesome opportunity to engage in the conversation because customers probably, that's a moment where they least expect it. Totally. So Lindsay, probably my favorite question we always ask on this and that we'll, we'll finish up with is just asking you for advice that you have for listeners. And so at both bigger brands and startups, what does it take to build an awesome social customer service team? And, and what do you know now that you wished you knew a year or two ago when you were starting down this journey? Well, I think the biggest thing, and, and it goes to my point above about, you know, that memorable experience and jumping into conversations that might not be directly at you is just listening and listening to conversations that are more than just at mentions to your brand. Mentions that are just happening organically in social, people aren't directly sending the message to you, but they're just talking about your brand. So really engaging and jumping into those. So listening and looking at what your customers are saying, where they're saying it, and what kind of questions they're asking, I think is the biggest first step in establishing what that customer service strategy over social is going to look like. Empowering your frontline. So don't punish mistakes. Use them as an opportunity to improve and evolve the worst thing you want is your team that's answering frontline questions to be fearful or overthink responses. We really try to use it as we want them to be natural and human and personable. And that doesn't happen if you're constantly slapping on the wrist for mistakes. So we look at every that, every mistake made or, or everything that maybe wasn't 
perfectly executed as an opportunity to evolve and constantly improve. With that, it's about reviewing how you're responding and evolving your voice. We have weekly meetings with our team, looking at common questions, how we're responding to them, and how we can be responding in a different way. So it doesn't become, you know, someone reads our Twitter feed or reads our feed, and it's just the same canned responses all the time. So constantly evolving our voice across all channels. The other big thing that I'm a huge advocate of is just engaging in the channel that they came through. So consumers are reaching out through Twitter, and they want to be responded to and resolved in that channel. So as much as you can, resolving in the channel that they came through and then responding to those negative and positive. The negative ones are really your biggest learning opportunity and, and really responding in those. So that's what I would be my biggest advice to people starting this journey and, and looking at where we were a year ago and the, was the biggest opportunity was bringing it under the social customer care team. We found we are answering the same questions through the other channels. So why wouldn't we naturally do the social channels as well? And, and looking at the overall strategy for social and making sure that it's not just your marketing department involved. It's, it's, there's tons of departments that need to be touching social, and, and customer support is one of those. Fantastic advice from Lindsay Gesso, who is the Director of Customer Experience at Vega. I would say for sure, Lindsay, that you have kicked some asparagus today <laughs> on this podcast. And thank you for joining us. Lindsay can be found at L-J-E-S-S-E-A-U on Twitter. And Vega can be found at Vega Team on Twitter. And Lindsay, uh, final question. Tell us a little bit about what you like to tweet about personally when you are not at work. You will see my Twitter feed is full of soccer and running. So I'm a passionate soccer fan. So there will be a lot of Manchester United, Whitecaps, and Vancouver Whitecaps, and well, now, right now, FIFA Women's World Cup has just ended and running. So you'll find me running the seawall in Vancouver a lot. So I post a lot about that. So on top of social customers care and customer service, uh, those are the two biggest things that I tweet about. Lindsay, I think that's a bit of an oxymoron to be a huge soccer fan <laughs> and a Manchester United fan. If you have a brand that you would like to nominate for this podcast, please let us know on Twitter at hashtag F-O-C-S. It stands for Focus on Customer Service. We appreciate Taylor Duarte, who recommended that we speak with the Vega team. This has been absolutely awesome, Lindsay. Thank you so much for being on with us. And to all our listeners, we really appreciate you listening. Dan and I are eager to hear your feedback. So please uh, hit us up on Twitter and or use the hashtag and we will definitely respond. So for Dan Moriarty, this is Dan Gingis, and we will see you next time on the Focus on Customer Service podcast. Thanks for listening to the Focus on Customer Service podcast presented by Social Media Today. Be sure to tweet your thoughts and nominations for other brands to be featured using hashtag FOCS and follow Dan and Dan on Twitter at DGingis and at I am Dan Moriarty. See you next time.